On today's show, the Cavs beat the Hawks, winning the battle of teams that went all in on all-star guards, and they looked really great in the second half. We'll dive into all of that and more. Thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash LockedOnNBA. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. All right, the music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astorado. Check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. I am Chris Manning. I cover the Cavs and NBA large for places like Diamond Up Rock and Estimations for the Sword. That man is Evan Damerel. He is the proprietor of Right Down Euclid. And he's also for the Sword. Evan, Cavs Hawks was a lot of fun. 55 combined for Garland and Mitchell. They win the battle of teams that went all in on all-star level backcourt in the offseason, very strong second half performance. We'll talk about all of that today, but I think the only place to start is that it's now three wins in a row for the Cavs, and they beat Atlanta and Mitchell and Garland combined for 55. That's, I feel like, where we have to start with this. Well, I hope your trip to Turks and Caicos first off was really good, Chris. I'm glad you look rejuvenated, you look refreshed. Um, hopefully we go there for my bachelor party, since you were a groom's bit of mine, and that, then, I, is that can, in the is that in the budget or like what no it's, is it? it's i mean for the most for the you know the only top 200 cleveland cavaliers podcast i it might be but we can then determine who the colin sexton and the darius garland is of this podcast after that kirk and takos trip so anyways um yeah this was certainly an basketball game it was a little weird but yeah it, it had kind of a playoff-esque feel to it there was a little bit of just weirdness to it and the fact that it was very guard-heavy for the Cavs and for the Hawks. It was more so DeJounte Murray just kind of was in a tailspin for most of the game because of Lamar Stevens' defense on him and just a little bit of Isaac Okoro putting pressure on him as well. And then Trey Young kind of grifting for a little bit in the first half, and then you watched him kind of not have the same impact in the second half. So it was interesting. I think... If you're the Cavs, they, they said they weren't really thinking much of the fact that this is a game that has some quote-unquote meaning to it because last season this is the team that knocked Cleveland's season out of commission um, in the playing tournament in Atlanta. So it was a fun game. It was just odd at times. It felt like it went way faster than it probably should have for me because like there was like a moment where I'm, like, I'm watching the game and I look up and the half's almost over. But it, this is a good win for the Cavs, and I think – more than anything, if you look at it just in crunch time situation, that's the most key thing here is the Cavs really didn't crap their pants in the last five minutes of the game on either end of the floor, and they kind of executed on offense and defense pretty well. Some of the stuff in this game in the second half I thought was some of the more impressive stuff I think we've seen from the Cavs. And, and I think particularly just this is the team that when you go back to that West Coast road trip, which... Like it's kind of still fresh in my head, just because like I haven't I haven't had time to watch the Bucks game and the Heat game and, and the Hornets game yet. It's like those that version I of the Cavs them all and record it by myself. 
Evan. Tell you all about it. If you listen to this, if you just listen to the podcast, you'd know. You know what I did, Evan? I actually unplugged in a very healthy way. It was great. Um, I've not. A delicious milkshake. That was great. Um, we're we're back like we never left. Evan derailing me. It's wonderful. The what? Think about what went wrong on that road trip. The Kings game was mm-hmm. like a comedy of errors in terms of late game execution. The Clippers game was not pretty in that regard. Like this team was going through its lumps, and if you look at the two way stuff in this game that they end up really wow. per- executing like it, it worked like it wasn't all perfect like there's still some you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of turnovers in this game like it, it it probably in certain ways i think could have not had to kind of required some of the stuff but like they got into their sets a little bit quicker the the play they they designed up to have the the big to big pass where mitchell's kind of a decoy off ball on that set was beautiful like the defense, in a lot of ways, was was great in the second half, particularly spearheaded by Evan Mobley. Like, there's just a lot I think mm-hmm. that worked, and like you, this was just like the, and Jetty Osmond getting hot. Like, this was just one of the better executed late game performances we've seen from this Cavs team, and I think it builds a lot on what went wrong on that road trip. Well, it's the best late game execution we've seen, period, since that road trip because the Hornets game they blew a ten point lead in less than I believe a minute. So that, I, that I, was I saw some tough. of the tweets about the game and I was like, Phew, and then what? Tough. I thought you were I thought you were off Twitter during your vacation, buddy uh, boy. But anyways, I, I, I was I was sent. Let's say I was sent some tweets by someone who likes to send <clears> Cavs tweets. You were Martin Rickmaning yourself. I understand, but yeah. Either way, the Cavs blew a lead. They had horrible late game execution against the Hornets. I don't think the Heat game counts because you're playing Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, and the Sioux Falls Sky Force. But in this game against the Hawks, you saw a lot of execution. You saw a lot of smart defensive plays down the stretch. You saw Jay Osmond playing a little bit like controlled chaos, but it was more controlled than chaos at times in this game. Like this was a very good win if you're the Cavs. I asked JV Bickerstaff post game, like, hey, do you think this is one of your more complete games? He's like, we're getting there. And he's like, the late game execution still isn't perfect. And the fact that I believe they gave up 36 points to Atlanta in the second quarter, he's like, I don't like that at all. So there's still stuff the Cavs need to figure out, but you're kind of watching them grow up a little bit in real time. And these are maybe some symptoms of last season re-emerging just a little bit, but they're kind of learning how to deal with them early in the season and then grow up from this. So like when games are a little bit more tighter down the stretch at the end of the year, it's not as big of an issue as it is now because yes, Donovan Mitchell does make a huge impact and change the trajectory of where this team is headed. But Donovan Mitchell is just one player when the rest of the team kind of gets uncomfortable and they don't handle tight situations very well. Like the Cavs are very good at front running <laughs> during that win streak because they're just blowing teams out of the water and then just coasting off that. But it's good to see them kind of learn a little bit from what they gathered from that Hornets game where they it went into double overtime. Um, it really did feel like Charlotte was going to win the game for the better part of that, just towards the end of things in the first overtime period. And the second overtime, the Cavs just kind of just swatted the Hornets in general. But and again, the Heat game doesn't really count in my eyes just because of how banged up Miami is. But this Hawks game is kind of like, okay, they did take a few things that like maybe emotionally or mentally they matured with a little bit in that game and applied it to this Hawks game so that they didn't have to play at a frenetic, chaotic pace towards the end of the game and just kind of maybe throw things out of a loop and in the end, maybe just throw off a good thing you have going. Well, and like you look at even how this happens, it's like Garland has two points in the quarter, but it's five assists, just the one turnover. Mitchell had four points, four assists, two steals, no turnovers. Like 
this was not the Garland and Mitchell take the ball in their hands and score a bunch, and, and that's mm-hmm. how we win this game. It was, they set the table on a lot of ways, and you have Jetty Osmond has 10, two, six of that coming from three. You know, Lamar Stevens has five, including a, a made three. Jared Allen, you know, only has two mobile on this four. This is, like, pretty balanced, but it's like Jetty has the 10. Lamar has the second most points in the fourth at five and like I, I i don't look at him and think he's like a perfect fit for for what you kind of want off of those guys off of those two bigs but like he played well in this game particularly i think played well in the second half you know you don't have dean wade right now you don't have carousel Ford due to an ankle sprain you know kevin love um didn't play in the fourth quarter of this game how about he you know and he didn't particularly have a, a particularly effective game didn't um just wasn't like kind of the best version of Kevin Love we've seen, but he has that, that that hairline fracture in his hand. So he only he doesn't score. He only takes two shots in this game. Played under twelve minutes, didn't score, and like so, like you kind of just needed someone to fill it, and Lamar in this game did, and then you, everything just kind of flows out of Mitchell and Garland. Um, I I, mean, I would also like to see these two teams play a lot going forward. Like, oh yeah, this, so would this, I. This, this would just be fun if we could get this in the playoffs at some point, just in kind of mana. It's kind of cool that two teams in the East with guys roughly kind of in the same age range. We're going to get to see how these two teams kind of evolve in real time. It, that that to me is kind of going to be something to pin, put a pin in this and then think about like two years from now. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I said it on the show that stylistically, at least personnel-wise, the Cavs do match up with the Hawks pretty interestingly well. Like you have Garland Young, uh, Mitchell, Murray, and then you have Hunter didn't play, but like that's an interesting factor. You have John Collins and Evan Mobley. You have Clint Capella and Jared Allen. Like the, there's some similarities here between how the Hawks just kind of have personnel and the Cavs do, but the Hawks have a ton of, not a ton, but two, three very interesting young wings in the roster that I wish maybe Cleveland could have one of those. But it just kind of crystallized. Like these are two teams that did go make a power play. The other one being the Minnesota Timberwolves getting a no shots ready to go bare, and they go out and kind of make this power move and they are now leveling up a little bit to maybe stake their claim as maybe other teams in the Eastern Conference, whether it's Miami, maybe it's eventually Milwaukee, kind of age out. And then the Sixers as well. And they kind of like join the Celtics as like these young up and coming teams that just firmly plant themselves on the ladder that they are the top dogs in the East. And it's kind of cool to see this. And like you said, yeah, continually monitoring these every time these two teams play each other. But like very fascinating to see where they're both at two years from now because I was talking to um, somebody during the game tonight and I just said the Hawks kind of operate like a 2K franchise or like they're always looking to make a trade so I am fascinated to see what Atlanta looks like in two years as well. Yeah, a lot of stuff's been there. Okay, after the break, we're going to come back, give out our game awards. We're going to talk a lot, at least I am, about the defense for the Cavs in this one because Evan Mobley was was downright spectacular on the defensive end um, in this game, and we'll we'll dive into that. But Evan, you're first going to tell everyone about our friends at Turo. Today's episode is brought to you by Turo. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and coming soon to Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find an affordable economy car if you're on a budget and need to get from A to B. Or you can get a Ute and Jake at the Bendigo when you're in Australia someday. But you can test drive that new electric vehicle as well you've had your eye on and see how it fits in your everyday life too. Many Turo hosts can even deliver their car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance, terms and conditions, and exclusions apply. 
Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. All right, we're back here on the Locked On Cast podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damrell. Evan, let's give out our awards. I'm going to give it to... I'm going to give MVP, where we're going to start to Evan Mobley. He will not, I think, get the headlines coming out of this this game, because I think this is... You look at the 55 combined points. You look at his final stat line. Like, it's 10 points. It's two rebounds. He took... Um, actually, yeah, 10 points, took six shots, only took two free throws, had nine rebounds, three assists, like four turnovers. Like, kind of like you look at the stat line, you're like, okay, that's that's fine. The defensive stuff he did in the second half of this game in particular, particularly I think in the fourth quarter, was, was I think, like, why mm-hmm. it is like part of the old defense case. Like, he had a really nice contain on a DeJounte Murray drive where he just eats him up, kicks her to fast break. You know, he has he had a play, Evan, where he's just running up the court and it's like he's he realizes in transition he has to mark Trey Young and Trey Young's floating towards the corner. And he he uses his, you know, freakishly long arms to deny him a pass, mucks things mm-hmm. up for Atlanta in transition. He is just an unreal defender, has such an unreal bit of space. Like Garland and Garland and Mitchell deserve a ton of credit in this game. Jetty Osmond deserves a ton of credit. Evan Mobley's defense in this game is probably the thing I'll be thinking about the most is like a holy crap, this was this was incredible. Yeah, Evan Mobley was astounding this game. Like I asked JB Pickerstaff about it post game. Like there's gonna be a lot of games, I believe, where Evan Mobley like doesn't stuff the stat sheet, but if like you watch him play, he bends opposing offenses to kind of avoid facing him because he does kind of put the fear of God in opponent in terms of just like what they're trying to do offensively like you saw it in the fourth quarter like John Collins tried to drive to the basket and Evan Mobley just like held up his hand to contest the shot and he saw John Collins just like recollect get regather midair and he was called for a travel because he's like I don't want to go up against Evan Mobley because it's just not an efficient shot it's just not a shot that's going to go in and or there's times where like you watch him close out on AJ Griffin and I was very surprised AJ Griffin hit a three-pointer over Evan Mobley tonight but like Evan Mobley was just all over the floor and I think Part of it does go to the fact that Jared Allen is back and he is that anchor of the Cavs defensively. He is able to protect the paint and the rim and he's very good at what he does in that regard. But that also kind of frees up Evan Mobley quite a bit too where he isn't kind of pigeonholed into having just to defend the paint. He can defend the paint. He can defend in space. He can go on the perimeter. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. And it's very interesting to watch his defensive evolution. I think you're finally starting to see things click for him a little bit. You're seeing a little bit of that year two leap that a lot of us were kind of hoping for, where maybe he's not going to be having games like he did against the Hornets, where it's like 20 points, 19 rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, you name it. Like that's a stat stuffing night. But more than anything, like he's going to find ways to impact and change the ebb and flow of a game in order to direct the Cavs towards a win. And like you saw a lot of it last year during his rookie season, and you're seeing a lot more of it now when these games have a little bit more significance, a little bit more weight to them. Who's your MVP? My MVP is Darius Garland. He was really, really good tonight. He was just consistently like he set the tone very early for the Cavs. I believe he started five and five or six to six from the floor. He finished the night with, I believe, 29 points and 10 or 11 assists. And Obviously, just played off Donovan Mitchell very well, played off with Jetty Osmond very well. Like, And it wasn't a good game offensively for Jared Allen or Evan Mobley until maybe down the stretch when he was getting a couple cleaner looks. And like, yeah, Garland was trying to get those two involved at times, but Garland was just a bit of the tone setter. And you noted that the top, like Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell combined, like kicked the crap out of what Trey Young and DeJounte Murray tried to bring for Lance offensively, at least. And I think... They are the alpha and omega of those two in terms of just being the 
offensive engine for the Cavs, and you really saw it tonight where, like, hey, it's not going for our other two core pillars in this big four we have, so let's just lean on these guys and Darius more than carry the, uh, the task this evening. I think there are, these are one of these games that this we're going to come back to this, let's say, like around the trade deadline and maybe next summer. These are one of those games where it's like, I wonder if like they over, there's, there's times where I just wonder if they over thought the need for like another pure ball handler type. And, and like, I wonder if there's just like a move to me to stretch this out even more because like what Jetty provides you is just like, yeah, like that, that helps. Like even just that willingness to fire helps. Like there's just like a need for like just a little yeah. more stretch and there's just, let's just say there's a there's an expiring contract that I just keep well, like coming back to a little bit. There is it, it I think getting Donovan Mitchell changed the calculus a lot because before that sure. you had Colin Sexton, you bring in Ricky Rubio and then Hollow Neto to kind of like back up uh Darius Garland quite a bit. And I, adding Donovan Mitchell to the fold changes things quite a bit. And I, I doubt that they do like a dramatic, dramatic move, but I think like I agree. It it mitigates the need necessarily to have like extra ball handling and Heck, if Evan Mobley tightens up his handle a little bit more, like that really mitigates it because there was times like he was doing stuff with the ball in his hand. I'm just like, oh, if that handle was a little tighter, there'd be more to it. And we're we need to talk about other stuff too, but like it is definitely something worth monitoring at the trade deadline. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So instead of the night for me is just Cavs have Darius Garland has eight turnovers in this game. Mm-hmm. Three points. He comes into this game averaging three point six. Team at 19 overall. The, the, as you alluded to, this was like kind of a wonky statistical game. The, the Cavs were like 10 of 19 from three. They didn't take a ton of threes. Mitchell took eight of their 19 threes. The, mm-hmm. the Hawks took 35. The Hawks took 17 more shots than the Cavs, which is like a, a weird thing. Like this everything is an about odd game when you start just breaking like, down the numbers. Yeah, and like just the flow of it, like felt sort of like I, I kind of felt like it, the flow is like kind of what Atlanta, like felt like more Atlanta E than Clevelandy in some ways, but like the Cavs like just executed significantly better. Um, mm-hmm. But like the fact that they had so many turnovers and Atlanta gets twenty six points off of turnovers, like that it was only three more than the Cavs got off of Atlanta's, but like the fact that Garland turned the ball over as much as he did, that there was like a little bit of sloppiness and they still kind of won and, and really kind of overcame some of that, particularly when they, when it went mm-hmm. bad in the third quarter, it was just, it was just impressive to me. Yeah, it is impressive. And to go hand in hand with that, like the fact that the Hawks scored 26 points off those turnovers for the Cavs and like the fact that the Cavs kind of, there were times the Hawks fought back and like made it a game. There's times they led as well, but like Cleveland kind of felt like you said, it felt very Cleveland. Like it didn't feel like they lost the Cavs at least lost their composure in this game necessarily. When the Hawks kind of regained things, they just kind of kept playing within their system. They kept kind of playing within what they were getting on the floor that night. And it seemed them be more, a little bit more adaptive and reactive to the situation instead of maybe being so static in terms of just what they do is kind of nice to see when it comes to this Cavs team. But it's definitely worth watching. I think the turnover issues are just going to be an issue. Like Danny Cunningham in front of the program asked uh, JV Bickerstaff the other night, and he's like, I'd prefer no turnovers. Then he asked, uh, Darius, what, what is a good turnover? What is a bad turnover? JV said, no turnovers or less is better. And then like for Darius, Darius is like, well, for being aggressive and we turn it over, I think that's okay. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that. Maybe it's the Cavs being more aggressive just through their guards, because that's what you're getting offensively, just, just in the grand scheme of things for Cleveland. But it's, I don't know. It's worth, monitoring because the turnover issue is still kind of an issue with garland at times yeah it's just like there's just like little things it's like you know coro has that that bungled pass like garland had two turnovers where he just kind of lost track of spatial like and that you've cut some of that stuff out you trim that fat off of 
what you're doing well, and you're gonna just some of that stuff be better just normal too when you're a young team as well like you gotta yeah. just grow up a bit and, and well and and like you're that high usage like you're that's just gonna happen okay uh real quickly play of the night my 914 left in the, the game mobile evan movie block Amar Stevens run the floor finishes just a really sensational evan mobley block uh, to on, on DeJounte Murray, I mentioned it before, Lamar pushes the cap capitalized, just like a, a, a really epitomizes how good and two way they were in the fourth quarter. And then mm-hmm. you have coming that force the timeout, the Cavs are going to steal out of the timeout. Mitchell Lasman on the break, they get it to 11 points. This yeah. team was just really good in that particular way, the fourth quarter. Yeah, they were really good. And that, that, that Stevens play in general was just like a very filthy move on Aaron Holiday for the most part. But my play of the night was. I thought of you uh, during it. Isaac Okoro had a baseline cut, and funnily enough, it was Jared Allen handling the ball at the top of the paint, and he tried to lob it into Okoro, and Okoro kind of awkwardly fumbled it a little bit, but he still somehow laid it in, and I was just like, looked over my shoulder really quick because I was waiting for Chris Manning to come in like real hot and shake me like a like a newborn baby or something, so uh, I'm glad I didn't get shaken because it probably would have scared the crap out of me, but it was a good play. I don't know. Isaac had a really great game against the Heat last night, and as, a, as in terms of when we're recording this, but wasn't really as there offensively tonight, but for to see him kind of just have impact and two-way impact like that, especially through foul trouble, was good. And I think just the Cavs just running a bread and butter play of theirs with Isaac Okoro is two thumbs up for me. I would feel okay about like him coming off of that Sunday game and coming out of like I feel like he oh, played yeah. like he like he played well enough in this one where I'd be like okay like this wasn't like a complete reset again in some ways. I I absolutely agree with you. I think. Just him having – he started super hot offensively for full context and then just kind of petered off in the third and fourth quarter against yeah. Miami. And it was more so the fact that he picked up three early fouls and was able to keep defending DeJounte Murray and Trey Young so well despite that. I think that's more impressive at the end of the day with Isaac Okoro. It's like the yeah. defensive impact is where he was more felt tonight. And offensively, he just didn't get much. And I think that's okay if you're Cleveland because I think you're getting contributions from guys like Jetty Osmond, Garland, Mitchell, eventually Mobley, Allen as well, Stevens. Like you're getting contributions elsewhere where you can mitigate the need for Isaac Okoro to be scoring a bunch or at least trying to score a bunch. And at least he took the three that did swing those way. Like he was just, he yeah. didn't hesitate. He just, he did fire. Okay. We're going to come up, come back after this, give a clean out some of our miscellaneous thoughts on this game and, and, head into your Tuesday, but first have another ad break. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. All it takes is filling out the right information and clicking a few buttons and you'll be searching for that next great team member. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. Finding the right team member is paramount to ending the year strong, and you need the right tools to do it. LinkedIn is that tool. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedInMBA. That is linkedin.com slash LockedInMBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Okay, last segment, Locked on Cavs podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Damerol. All right. Evan, I, I think one thing that does matter coming out of this game and thinking back to that playing game last year mm-hmm. is that Trey Young no longer, when you're playing Cleveland, you can't hide him. Exactly. He had, like, they, they have two guys at his, that are kind of in his realm at guard that he has to, like, spend energy dealing with them. And the Cavs put him in actions. They made him defend. They made him work. And, like, if you get him in a playoff series, if you get them in the, one of the situations, like, that's going to matter. He is a sensational offensive player. You're going to have to navigate what he does offensively, figure it out. But you give yourself a better chance of overcoming that when you can really put him through it. And the Cavs are, like, just better equipped to do that against him and against guys of his ilk in some ways as it comes up to. But, like, against him specifically, that that really stood out to me in this one. It is interesting to think about because it, you, you can't you cannot hide him. Like, you can't put Evan Mobley on him, or him on Evan Mobley. You can't put him on Jared Allen. Obviously, you can't put him on Mitchell or Garland because Jontae Murray can only defend one of them. And, like, let's just assume Dean Wade's the starting three. Like, you can't put him on Dean Wade. You probably can't put him on just because of the size and just shooting and things like that. And the Cavs can do a lot of off-ball stuff to make before switches. And also, like, you can't even hide him on Karis LeVert. Like, yeah. <laughs> This is, I think that was the biggest bugaboo for the Cavs in the play-in tournament last year. Is like Trey Young was able just to be masked and his defensive issues were, supposed, were masked very well, and Trey was just able to kill the Cavs offensively then because he wasn't able to have to expend so much energy on the defensive side of the ball. And like you said, the Cavs did a lot of interesting things where like they put Trey Young in sets and situations where like they made him uncomfortable and they made him work on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that also had a direct correlation and impact on him just kind of flatlining a little bit in terms of three-point shooting in the second half, too, because the Cavs just kind of kept grinding and daring him to, like, defend him a little bit, or them a little bit. And that's interesting to think. Um, I, I Again, I I know Jetty Osmond's the only one who said, like, yeah, this game has a little bit of meaning to us, but, like, Darius Garland and J.B. Bickerstaff said, no, it's just another game. So I, I wonder if the Cavs kind of came in with a little bit of a chip, edge on their sh- chip on their shoulder, a little bit of edge just because they wanted to just kind of like make a statement like these are two teams that made a power move in the offseason in the Eastern Conference and like we talked about in the first segment like they're on the up and up of in terms of just ascending teams in the Eastern Conference maybe they want to just kind of like rub it at Atlanta a little bit and say like we're in a better place than you are because we're able to kind of mask some more of our defensive issues because we have two freaks of nature as our backline on defense I am curious to see like how like what you kind of take away from some of this game too for Cleveland just in terms of executing against teams you're competing like in these late game stuff like what they pull because like I felt that late game set they designed with Mitchell as a kind of the decoy off ball it's just Very like smart it's just like having him even as much as like his primary value and so much of what he does what what helps with him is the fact that like he generates really good looks for himself like he had a he had a buck a mid-range shot in this game where he was on the opposite elbow and like pivoted once and found his way to the other side like quickly and uh-huh. gets it off cleanly and he's wide open you're just like oh this guy's crazy but sorry i keep laughing i just think about how gb picker steph said pre-game that he's fine this guy's taking mid-rangers and he's like i know that's anti-analytics but it's okay to take those shots i just i just respect that jb just has like made out like the way he taught the way like he his quotes about analytics on three centers yeah it's just like it's just like he just like the machines will not take me it's it's kind of incredible honestly like i really kind of respect it and like i I don't think he i don't think he means it to be funny but i find it like hysterical 
I do too. And to, to your point, using it's not Donovan like in Mitchell a way that like he no. well, not in a way that he's like stupid. It's just like no, he's not it's dumb. Just, he's a, no, I'm it's just like that. the way he's like he's just like these these stupid he's, nerds. These nerds just don't he's, respect. He's tongue and cheeking, thumbing mm. his nose. I think of people who ride and die with analytics. Or bigger staffs more a bit of a pragmatic coach where he takes analytical consideration into account when it comes to his game planning like he begrudgingly admitted they did need to shoot more three-pointers heading into this season just because they had two seven-footers in their lineup but like he takes information from everything to make his final decision and i appreciate that because i think if you just kind of just kind of pigeonhole yourself in a one diatribe or thought process like it's gonna bite you in the butt in the grand scheme of things but to go off your point with the mitchell thing like something i wish worked was donovan mitchell randy pick and pop with kevin love and that he was using mitchell as a decoy where atlanta overcommitted to defending mitchell because he's so lethal in the pick and roll and then you see jetty osmond streak to the ba- basket along the baseline there because he was stuck up in the three-point or in the uh, corner there. So, like, there's interesting ways the Cavs are kind of using the gravity and just the way Donovan Mitchell bends defenses to his will like that. And maybe that's just kind of the next evolution of how this offense is going to function, at least so, like when Mitchell's the primary ball handler because he can get his buckets and get his best points whatever he wants to. But finding creative ways to get more people easier buckets by using Donovan Mitchell's gravity is going to be really fun to see the Cavs kind of work with. And I noted this on Twitter that uh, if it was Isaac Okoro streaking, I wonder if it would have been more of an easier play. Cause it was interesting to see Jetty Osm beat the streak man along the baseline there. Like it's just cool to see the Cavs kind of use unique little wrinkles in real game situations like that. Well, and it's like, I, I was thinking about this in, in watching Lamar. And one of the reasons like I like Lamar as a player is that like he makes himself functional. Yeah. He knows what he is, and he knows what he's good at, and he knows, like, try to where to be, and he makes himself functional. Like, Okoro, in this game, like, elite, like had the, the foul on his dunk attempt, took the three, like, at least ha- had a little bit of, like, okay, I'm going to try to make myself functional. Mobley had, is starting to, like, show flash of exceeding, just making himself functional. Like, you're seeing Evan Mobley, like, do some interesting stuff on offense. Dean Wade, his whole thing is just, like, he just makes it. SHIT happen to the point where like is that like like he he is just makes things go. Kevin Love like plays within his role, makes it happen. Like they they are mm-hmm. finding ways I think to accentuate stuff. Jenny Osmond is sort of just like throwing pain at the wall and like making a bunch of shots and it like just I like said, works. Man, controlled chaos. That's what he is. He is controlled chaos on the floor. Like there are some nights Jenny Osmond is so erratic you have to pull the hook on him, but. Again, folks, if you're a regular listener, you're about to know what I'm about to say. Peaks and valleys. We're in a Chetty Valley peak right now, and or Chetty Osmond peak right now, and I hope the valley doesn't happen soon. I hope he kind of plateaus a little bit, but you got to ride this wave while you can, especially when you're a little bit banged up on the back end of things in your rotation. And if Osmond's able to give you meaningful minutes, and Jackson Flickinger at Through the Sword wrote a really good piece about why Osmond probably needs more minutes over Stevens and Okoro, just, just from the fact that he is a shooter. At the end of the day, like that, 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 that's that, that's a good thing if you're the Cavs. Like, there's interesting things they're doing with Osmond, and I don't think they're asking him to do too much anymore, which is really helpful at the end of the day. Last thing, uh, we'll, we'll get out of here. If I had told you today that that Cleveland I, has a professional soccer club coming in 2025, I'm, I'm not dealing with your trolling about soccer anymore. I'm serious. I was excited when I saw the news. I'm like, I'm excited for Chris. Genuinely, more, in my heart of hearts, I was excited for you. More excited if they get there. The other thing that is like out there in the ether is that they may the, get an NWSL. NWSL. Yeah, that's I, cool I, too. That would be, be dope for both. 
would be more excited for NWSL. I agree. And then my other note that was a chug in cheek is it's amazing that former Browns starting quarterback Colt McCoy was starting on Monday Night Football as we're recording this. Wild stuff. If I had told you August, first day of training camp, that I thought mm-hmm. it made like that Jetty Osmond's contract, which is non guaranteed next year, like I would just kind of assume the Cavs guaranteed at this point. Would you feel crazy? I, I feel pretty like sure that like he's like been good enough and useful enough and they kind of need what he does where like i kind of feel like they probably do guarantee that last year of his deal yeah i think they do too i don't think you're crazy in saying that because you have to see how the cap the sorry the Cavs structure their cap sheet extra too they do have love's contract coming off the books you have garland's coming in place of it you have to be cognizant of it having Mobley extension down the line, hopefully a Donovan Mitchell extension as well. Maybe you deal with Isaac Okoro's achiness or you just play let that play out. But having guys that are quality depth pieces like Osmond, that is a shooter and at the wing position, which is two things the Cavs just need on a nightly basis no matter what, uh, that's a lot more cost control because if you really want to rewind to like, because we're almost at the three-year anniversary of me joining this show, um, we talked about when Jetty signed that extension, like, wow, he's criminally undervaluing himself. Like, what were him and his agent thinking? That's a pretty good deal if you're the Cavs, because let's say you pick it up, you can have a cheap option off the bench or whether you whatever you want to use Jetty for next season. Um, or he is also a trade chip if you need to use it as well. But again... I agree with you. I think it's worth picking it up and then maybe just letting it ride and see what you get from it. Yeah. All right. We'll end it there. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday, getting you ready for Cavs Blazers, the last game of a Cavs game homestand and the last game before Thanksgiving. But I'm Chris. That's Evan for your second listen today. Check out Locked On Sports today. This episode was produced by Jake Stevens. Thanks again for making us your first listen every day. Back tomorrow, same time, same place. Subscribe. Same channel. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a five-star rating interview or the Discord, all that stuff. All right. Peace out. We'll talk to you soon.